a family. And, uh, you know, uh, thinking of photo shoots, every time my family does a photo shoot, it just, it, it just digresses into craziness very quickly. I mean, when we schedule a photo shoot, um, I soon realize that my family has problems, you know. And uh, if, if you think the Ross family is the ideal family, just ask our photographers, and they'll tell you, no, they're messed up. They got some issues. I actually wanted to show you a couple examples. We were, we were getting some pictures taken last October, and things spiraled out of control very quickly. And you can tell by the look on my face and the, and the look of Trisha's demeanor. Just check this out right here. Um, yikes. <laughs> that actually kind of scares me right now. I don't know what was going through my mind in that moment. And Trisha is, uh, is giving our youngest a little talk there. And, uh, and does, does that ever happen to you and your families? Um, or how about, you know, you're trying to get that family photo, and you want just one, like just one picture where everyone's looking at the camera, everyone's smiling. I mean, I don't know if it's even possible, but uh, we, we took a family photo just last weekend, Easter weekend, and uh, it was actually a photo with Trisha and her boys, you know, mom and her boys, and we thought we got it right, and uh, here's the picture, and we thought we nailed it, everybody's looking. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if you can see it or not, but we zoomed in on the next picture here. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> Cody Ross with the infamous cross-eyed maneuver. You know, that's classic. I mean, if, if you grew up taking family pictures, you had to do that at least once or twice. Um, but, uh, you know, today is an introduction into the Ideal Family series, which means that today you're, you're probably going to walk out of this message with more questions um, than answers, and that's okay. Um, we're just setting the, the, the kind of the groundwork for this whole series. And here at Grace, we actually like to think in terms of series. You know, instead of just one message, we think in terms of a series. And so you're here at the beginning of the series, so that's a good thing. In this series, we're, we're going to talk about the complexities of marriage and family and parenting. And, and we're going to ask the question, like, how do I deal with my real family, okay? Not, not the Facebook image family, you know, my real family. How do I deal with my real family? And, and just, just right out of the gates, I want us to, to understand that every family is a fixer-upper, okay? There is no ideal family. I mean, we, we are all broken. We are all messed up in some way or another. We're going to talk about conflict and forgiveness. Um, let, me, let me ask you, how many of you have ever had a fight in your family of origin or your current family. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever had a fight, all right? All right, so more than half of us, the rest of you, you just lied, and we're like five minutes into the sermon, all right? We're going to talk about lying. No, I'm just teasing. Um, no, we're, we're actually going to talk about why families fight, you know, and what, what, you can, what you can do to take the edge off of it. Um, we're going to talk about the ideal marriage. You know, we'll talk about how to succeed in marriage and how to recover from broken relationships, how not to repeat the same mistakes again and again and again. Um, we're going to talk about parenting. And I, I have to be very honest with you. I'm, I'm really nervous about this one because I am right in the middle of it. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you everything I know um, biblically and from my experiences about parenting till the age of 16. Okay, because that's where we're at right now. I can't go past that because I don't have any experience beyond that. So we're going to talk about parenting and uh, um, we're going to talk about the role of a father and a mother. And in the last week of this series, we're going to talk about something I'm really excited about. It's actually something that I need a lot of help with. 
And I believe it's something, because I've talked with many of you, and I've heard this theme just occur again and again and again. I think many of you need a lot of help with this. But we're going to talk about, and we're going to ask the question, how do I deal with technology? Um, man, in the, in the world that we live in that is full of technology, it is such a huge parenting challenge. Um, and, and we're dealing with it on a daily basis. And I thought, man, it would be pastoral malpractice for me not to bring this topic up in our church and for us to just wrestle with it and to try to help one another navigate these waters of technology that we live in. So, um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I love the fact that we're tap, uh, tackling this topic here at Grace because everyone that I know that is married or starting to have kids or, you know, maybe you're a single parent, we're all looking for the ideal when it comes to our families. We, we all want what's best for our family. We do. We want what's best for our kids. And we all have questions like, you know, how do I keep the spark alive in my marriage after the honeymoon year? You know, how do I, how do I stay madly in love with my spouse? Um, when is the right time to have our second or our third kid? Or how do we stay connected as a family when both, um, you know, mom and dad are working? How, how do we stay connected and close as a family? Are my kids going to be messed up because they don't have a father or a mother in their life? Or, you know, how do I move forward with, with my, my ex um, and, and move forward in a peaceful way? How do I, how do, I do this? And, and, and all these and, and a thousand other questions are being asked by, by people like us all the time. And so what makes this topic so challenging is that all of our experiences are so diverse. I mean, we all come from so many different backgrounds, so many different types of families. Some of us are from traditional families. Some of us are from blended families. Some of us, um, you know, you may be in your second or your third marriage. Some of you are between marriages. Um, some of you are, are single. There's families here that have adopted or that have foster kids in your home. You know, it's so diverse, so different. And the whole conversation around family right now is so challenging, but it's so relevant. It's so relevant. It's so needed, especially in the church. Two things that you need to know, okay, before we get started this morning. Um, two things that we actually have in common is, first of all, when it comes to our family of origin, none of us had a choice in the matter, okay? None of us had a choice in, in whether or which family we were going to be a part of. You've heard the old saying, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, right? None of us had a choice in the matter. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that we've all had those moments where we said, gosh, I wish my family was more like that family, or I wish... My experience was more like theirs. They seem to have more fun. They seem to have it all together. You know, we compare our, our family to others, and we wish that my family was more like that family. And the reason is, is because family's difficult. Fa- family is challenging. You know, simply saying the word father stirs up emotion in us. You know, saying the word mother or brother or sister, like those those words are weighty. They, they stir up emotion within us. Whenever you hear those words, you think about your family, and there's, there's emotion there. There's, there's background. There's backstories. There's information. There may have been chaos. There may be joy. There may have been really good experiences. There may have been really bad experiences. There may be uh, really good memories. There may be no memories at all. You know, family is a challenging, challenging subject. 
And the other thing that we have in common, the, the second thing we have in common is this. No one in your family is as smart as you are, right? I mean, no one. I mean, if I could just have a moment with my family, if they would just listen to what I had to say, I mean, I could fix, I could resolve the problems here, right? Um, we all know how to fix our families, but the problem is nobody listens to us. Um, it works this way with parenting. I know when our kids were little, like, we knew everything. The older they get, the less we know. You know, that just seems like how, how it works. Now, now, here's the challenging thing. When we look to the scriptures, okay, when we go to the Bible and we ask the question, like, what, what are we supposed to learn about family or how is a family supposed to function? It's actually kind of odd because there's almost no good examples of family in the Bible. I mean, even Jesus' family. I mean, they were like, have you seen Jesus? No. Have you seen Jesus? No. I mean, Joseph and Mary left Jesus at the temple, right? I mean, even Jesus' family, you know, wasn't necessarily the ideal. When, when we look to the scriptures, we, we see a lot of messed up families. I mean, we could start at the very beginning with Adam and Eve. I mean, how long did that take for that to go south? You know, like one chapter. I mean, so we could start with the very, very beginning with Adam and Eve. And, uh, and then Adam chose Eve over God. And, and this is so fascinating. John Eldridge, in one of his books, he makes, he makes a really profound observation about this. He said, in the Garden of Eden, man chose woman over God. And men have been choosing women over God ever since. There's a, there's a lot of truth to that. So from the very beginning, things went bad. And then the first recorded homicide in all of Scripture, in all of history, was two brothers. I mean, one brother kills the other brother, and then it just gets worse from there. When you read the Old Testament and you ask, like, what am I supposed to learn about family? All you're going to find are really bad examples. I mean, we could talk about Abraham's parenting style. I mean, he rejected one son, he tried to kill the other son. You know, we could talk about Solomon's marriage, or should I say marriages and concubines. Or we could talk about David's sons, you know, the ones who tried to kill him. I mean, there, there's a lot of screwed up families in the Bible, a lot of them. And, and then something fascinating happens when you get to the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he took the teachings of Jesus and he went into basically a Greek and a Roman culture and he began to, to teach, he began to insert these new ideas of how a family was supposed to work, how a family was supposed to function. And, and you have to understand that the teachings of Paul, they were so foreign. They were so new. Okay, they, they were revolutionary, these teachings of Paul. There had never been a culture built around the things that Jesus and Paul were teaching. I mean, these, these, these teachings were so powerful, so brand new. And here's basically um, what, what he was teaching. They, they were raising the value of, of women and children. And in a minute, I'm, I'm actually going to read a quick summary of everything the New Testament has to say about the family. And when you hear these verses that I'm going to read, you're actually going to think to yourself, like, wow, this sounds so old-fashioned. You know, this sounds like something that my, my grandparents would have bought into. This sounds so old-fashioned. But you have to understand that when these 
words, when these teachings were, were spreading in this very Greek-thinking Roman culture, these words were new, and they had never seen a culture built around these teachings, and it was so powerful. It was so counterculture. And a lot of these teachings, you know, they're so ingrained in the American culture that, that we think it's common sense, but, but once again, this was brand new to the first century especially what Paul had to say about women and children. You see, he was speaking to a culture in the first century that the value of women was just a little bit more than cattle. Okay? They had no value. Women had no value. Children had no value. And uh, children, they wouldn't even name children sometimes until they knew for sure that they were going to live because the mortality rate was so high. So listen, listen, when, when Jesus was talking, maybe you've heard this story in Sunday school, maybe you've never heard the story, but Jesus was talking, he was giving a sermon one time, and he actually said, let the little children come to me. I mean, we read that today and we're like, oh, that's so cute, you know, Jesus loves the little children. But in this day, I mean, the, the people that were observing and Jesus says, hey, bring the children up here, let them come to me. They were like, What? Like, you're going to let a child come into the place of an adult? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Jesus said, yeah, actually, the kingdom is of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is kind of like these children. And so the Apostle Paul comes along, and he elevates the status of women and children. And they had never seen a culture that had operated under the assumption that women and children had the same value as men. And here's something that you need to know, okay? Check this out on your own if you don't believe me. But you need to know this. In every culture that has embraced a biblical worldview, the status or the value of women and children has always increased. Okay, this is so important. I need to say it one more time. In every culture that has embraced a biblical worldview, the value of women and children, has always increased. But in every culture that has rejected or has, has turned their back on a biblical worldview, the value of women and children has always decreased. Check it out. In every culture. In our current world, there's a group of women from a different religion who are fighting like crazy to have the rights that many of you women experience and get to express on a daily basis here in the United States of America. And they, they have to fight against the tenets of their religion. Whereas when it comes to the New Testament, the New Testament opened the door for women and children in a way that no other culture had ever done. And so when the Apostle Paul says the kind of things that I'm about to read to you, I mean, this was mind-blowing. I mean, this was revolutionary. This was so disruptive to the men who were oppressing women and children, and it gave women and children hope. And the basis of what Paul was saying is this. When Jesus went to the cross, he died for all men, all women, and all children equally. I mean, that's like the foundation of his teachings. Women may not have been allowed to be citizens of Rome, but through faith in Jesus Christ, they could be citizens of heaven. I mean, it was revolutionary. It was so hope-filled. And so, this was so refreshing. It breathed life into the culture. 
And if you study history, it's amazing what, what I'm about to read to you even survived because there was no support for it. It's amazing that it even survived the first century. It was so counterculture. Once again, what seems so common, what seems so old-fashioned to you, was so futuristic for these first century Christians, okay? You're probably thinking, all right, man, let's get to the verses, right? Let's read the verses. I got to give you one other word of warning before we read these verses. As our nation, the United States of America, as we move further and further away from a biblical worldview, the groups that will suffer the most are going to be women and children. That's how it's worked throughout all of history. I just got an email yesterday from some Christian missionary friends of mine in India. They they run an orphanage that provides care and education and love for close to 200 kids. But the prime minister in India has vowed that he will destroy everything that is Christian in India by 2021. And he and his evil government are like doing everything they can to fulfill that promise. They're closing most Christian orphanages in India, which are scattering kids that were being loved and cared for and educated. Um, They're burning churches, closing churches. They're seizing Bibles. They're beating and jailing pastors. Some have even been killed. My friend's um, orphanage in South India is on a, you know, it's in a lot of danger on a daily basis. You need to pray. You need to pray for the Christians in India. Um, they told me that they'll come, the government officials will come into their orphanage on a, on a weekly basis and they'll take kids and they'll interrogate uh, the kids and ask them what they're being taught and they're trying to find out if it's Christian or Hindu. You see, in cultures and societies that move away from a biblical worldview, the women and the children are the ones who suffer the most. You see, Christianity sometimes gets a bad rap that, oh, it's so oppressive to women and It is the furthest thing from the truth. It's so liberating. It's so life-giving. You know, in this segment of our society that has already abandoned marriage, that says marriage isn't even an option, the group that's shoved below the poverty line the quickest quickest are women and children. But 2,000 years ago, Jesus breathed life into the culture when he said women... Children, men are equal at the foot of the cross. And the Apostle Paul took the teachings of Jesus and said, here is how family is supposed to work. So let's read the brief New Testament summary. And uh, we're going to read through this quickly. Um, but here we go. First of all, Paul said, and he, said, he says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. He says, children, obey your parents. Okay, I love... All the parents in the room, you could say, amen, right? We love this verse. I had my boys memorize this verse. It's like, yes, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Verse 2, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. I, I need to say something to, the, to the, the young ladies, the young men in the room, the children. Okay, I know you're in the room this morning, and you're like, I know so much more than my dad and my mom, okay? I was a child too. I thought the same thing. But this is the first commandment with a promise. And what is that promise? That your life will go well, okay? If you want to have a 
jacked up life, if you want to have a life that's really messed up, don't listen to anything your dad says or your mom says. Do exactly the opposite, and your life will be hell on wheels. It will be messed up. You want to have a life that's fulfilling? You want to have a life that's meaningful, that's going the right direction? Paul says, obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. And then he goes on to say, wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. I know some of the ladies in the room are like, wait, 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 like, you don't know my husband, okay? But hold on, I'm not finished yet. Let's keep reading. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Like, why, why would he have to say this? Because men in this culture were harsh with their sheep, they were harsh with their dogs, and they were harsh with their wives. I mean, remember, they didn't have much value. Women didn't have much value. They were just a little above cattle. And and Paul says, that's over. Like, we are not going to do it that way anymore. Those days are gone. You husbands are to love your wife. You're not to own her. You're not to take advantage of her. You're to love your wife. And don't be harsh with her. In other words, as Christian men, it's important how we treat our wife. It's very important. And this elevated the status of women. I mean, what? Like, we're supposed to honor our wives? We're supposed to not treat them harshly? I mean, this elevated the value of women. And then Paul said, fathers, do not aggravate or don't exasperate your children or they will become discouraged. So Paul says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't... uh, don't discourage them. And you know, the quickest way to discourage your children is with your words. Like dads, I have to remind us this morning, I'm reminding myself that our words as fathers, they weigh a thousand pounds to our children. I mean, what you say and how you say it, it can either build up your children or it can crush your children. I mean, in the first century, children were treated like slaves. I mean, it was commonplace to treat your child like someone that you own, like a slave. But remember, Jesus said, hey, it's okay. Let the kids come up here and sit on the front row. Come on, bring them up here. Bring them up here. They're just as valuable as anybody else in this room. Let them come and sit in the front row. Come on, bring the kids up here. It's okay. Father's be so careful how you, how you speak to your children. And I am guilty. I am guilty. Like sometimes I do this in jest. Like I'm just joking with them. But little do I know that they're taking my words seriously. They're taking my words to heart. And I, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just trying to say it in jest, but it was tearing them down. It was discouraging them. And I'm telling you, there's so many bad parenting examples I could give you of myself personally, and we just don't have the time, okay, to dive into that. But sometimes I've, I've spoken words to my boys, and the words were even true. They were true. But it wasn't the right timing, or it wasn't the right tone, or, gosh, it just, it, it wasn't necessary, even though it was true. And, and at times, I've crushed the spirit of my children. You know, this is in the Bible. 2,000 years ago, Paul understood this important dynamic. And he goes on to say, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, this is, this is the Apostle Peter talking. 
And he says, in the same way, you husbands, you must give honor to your wives. Okay? I know I sound like a broken record now, but remember, this is the first century. Like, what? We're supposed to honor our wives? Yes. Honor your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. In other words, you need to take into consideration how your wife feels. <laughs> you need to try to understand what she's going through and what she's facing. And then he goes on to say, she may be weaker than you are. Okay, I love the way that he says this. She may be weaker because I've actually, I've been doing CrossFit lately and there are some ladies there that are much stronger than I am, okay? Like they would kick my butt. And so she may be weaker, she may not be weaker, okay? So this is speaking of physical strength. And I have to say this, there, there has been a lot of, of false teaching. Sometimes people would say she's weaker with her intellect or she's, she's weaker in her you know, leadership ability or you name it. That is, that is bad, bad teaching. It's speaking of physical strength. So she may or may not be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Like this is so huge. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for your wife. She has a heavenly father. You have a heavenly father. And he says, Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. I, mean, I, I can't tell you how many couples that I've met with, you know, they've been struggling in their marriage or in their relationship, and I'll ask the husband, I'll say, how are you treating your wife? And the wife is in the room too, so he can't lie because she's going to call him out. And he'll say things like, man, I just feel like my relationship with God is non-existent. I feel like he's abandoned me. I feel like I'm not communicating, or he's not communicating with me. And I'll say, how are you treating your wife? And he'll say, actually, I've been treating her pretty harshly. I've been calling her names. I've been treating her with disrespect. And I'll go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, and it's like right there in plain sight. Like, treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, if you're treating your wife with disrespect, calling her names, treating her poorly, and then you go, oh, God, please bless me, and would you pour your favor out on me? Holy Jesus, I love you. God is like, are you kidding me? Like, you're, you're not even treating your wife like you should. So your prayers are hindered. They're not getting where they need to go. So the quick summary would be this. Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And fathers, don't irritate your kids. All right? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to be done this morning. All right? We're going to dismiss. And you know, when we look at this list right here, like that is, that is the ideal. I mean, that is very idealistic. And I'm the first to say that I've fallen short of even that simple list right there. And this brings us to the tension that's going to be the context of everything that we talk about moving forward in this series called Ideal Family. You see, you, you didn't come from an ideal family. I didn't come from an ideal family. And if you're married and have kids, you didn't create an ideal family. You see, there's real, and then there's the ideal 
and there is a gap between the two. There's, there's what's real and what you're experiencing on a daily basis, and then there's what, I know I want my marriage to be this. I know I need to be a better parent. I need to do this. I need to do that. You know, there's the ideal, and there's, there's this tension. There's this gap. We have the ideal, and then we have what's real, and, and it doesn't add up. And we feel the tension on what we know our marriages should look like, what, what our parenting should be like, but it's not what we're experiencing in real time. So, so here's something I know about you. I have, I have never met someone from a broken family who wished that upon their children, ever. I mean, the single moms, the single dads that I know, when they pray for their sons and their daughters, they pray for something better than what they experienced. You know, the pain of the failure of their family unit, it, it fuels their passion when, when they pray for their kids or when they pray for their grandkids. You see, we want something better for our kids. We want something better. And so the whole idea of the message today is this. We cannot lose sight of the ideal. You see, there, there's so much um, there's so much crazy thinking in our world today where you know we, we have the ideal, we see the standard that God has set, that Jesus has set, and, and we say, gosh, we don't measure up. And so what we're tempted to do is to try to change what, what God has taught us. We try to change what God has taught about the marriage or what God has taught about parenting. And, and we try to change it because we want to feel better about ourselves. We want to think, man, I'm, I'm measuring up. But the tension is, is, and the reality is, is we cannot change. We dare not change the ideal of what God has set. We cannot change the ideal of what God intended for the family. And even though being on, on both sides of the equation at times reminds us of the pain and the hurts, that we want to forget, you know, it, it kind of stirs up memories that we thought were in the past. I just want to remind us that Jesus, in His amazing mercy and grace, He invites us in the 21st century to re-embrace the teachings of Scripture. To re-embrace the teachings of Scripture that literally changed the world. Teachings that created the foundation of what has become normal and expected in terms of the way that we, we treat women and children in our society. And while much of our society loses focus, while much of our society turns their back on the ideal, perhaps Jesus followers in our region, perhaps Jesus followers in our country and in the world, perhaps Jesus followers would say, no, like no. We're not going to turn our back on the gift of dignity that Christianity gave men, women, and children, we're not going to turn our back on that. And yes, we fall short. And no, we don't always get it right. And yes, I irritate my children at times. And no, I don't always submit to my husband. And no, he's not always worth submitting to. And no, I, I don't always love my wife like Christ loved the church. And yes, at times I'm, I'm harsh towards my wife. And yes, at times I, I get all that stuff wrong. But you know what? I'm not going to change 
the rules. I'm not going to change the ideal that God said. I'm not going to change the standards of Scripture so that I feel better about myself as a husband or so I feel better about the condition of my marriage. I'm not going to change the rules so that I feel better about myself as a wife. I'm going to live in that tension of what is reality, what I'm really facing, and what I know it should be. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, unsettling, but I'm going to live in that tension. And so as we go forward, that's the context of what we're going to be talking about. And what I'm going to do throughout this series is I'm going to continually point to the ideal. I'm going to point to the standard, to what God says it should look like. And please know that I'm pointing to it as one that is far below it, okay? I am not going to come at this series with a condemning tone. I'm right there with you, okay? Looking at the ideal, looking at the standard, striving for it. I'm going to point to the ideal, to the standard. And you need to know this. As we point to that ideal, we need to realize that Jesus does not condemn those who fall short. He doesn't condemn us. We've all fallen short of the ideal family in some way or another, but Jesus doesn't condemn us. Instead, He gave us His life. He gave His life for us so that we could pick ourselves up and that we could, through His strength, be forgiven and move forward in victory and move forward in hope and move forward towards the ideal. Man, through Christ, we can get up, we can dust ourselves off, and we can keep going. And, and as we move forward in this series, you're going you're gonna to hear some teachings that you're going to be able to implement in your family right away. Um, you're going to hear some things that you're, you're going to think, man, I wish I would have heard this many years ago. You're, you're going to hear some teachings that are going to be really hard to hear. It may stir up things that you really don't want to deal with, that you really don't want to face, that may be really hard. But for all of us, there is grace. For all of us, there is a great, deep love from our Heavenly Father. For all of us, there is forgiveness. And for all of us, we are joint, equal heirs. And the kingdom of God is made accessible through Jesus Christ. And so, and so there's this tension between what's real and the ideal And we dare not change that tension. We dare not change it because the future of our families depend upon it. And so next Sunday, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay the foundation as best I can for the ideal family. It's going to be a very important message. This is a very important series for us as a church, for you as a family, and you don't want to miss it. So I'm going to close in prayer this morning, and uh, we'll continue on with the service. Heavenly Father.